We're going to be looking at Micah 5 from verse 2, page 779. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Well, walking around London right now, the Christmas trees are up, the Christmas lights are on. Uh, E17 are playing from all the shop windows, and of course, Christmas jumpers are out in a big way this year. And even more excitedly, the Christmas adverts are out. You know, this is the kind of becoming a really big thing now. That the Christmas adverts come out, and it's like everyone's trying to outdo one another with who can make more people cry. So you know, whether you're watching Monty the Penguin fall in love, or whether we're watching the World War II Christmas truce, where you know that that, that true story where some of the, the the troops came out, the brave troops put down their weapons and shook hands with the enemy. Whatever it is, these adverts all have a very similar message that they've realised is a guaranteed tearjerker. I wonder if you've realised what it is. Here it is. Christmas, or let's say the world, can be a sad and lonely place, but everyone finds happiness at Christmas. Even in the darkest days of war, everyone finds peace at Christmas. Now, on the one hand, these messages are great, right? Because they they teach us that the world can be a tough place, which is true. And they teach us that Christmas is about a solution to that, which is true. But on the other hand, they misdirect our attention Because, well, they tell us that overcoming the world is all about falling in love, having a great family, or getting loads of stuff. And don't get me wrong, those things might be wonderful, but is that really the answer to all of our biggest needs and problems? Because if you have these things, great, but if you don't, well, this time of year can make you feel like a total failure. See, Christmas is a time where the world piles a lot of pressure onto you to... Feel wonderful, look happy, be in love, find peace, even if that's not the case. I was walking around the supermarkets earlier this week, and I was having a look at some of the the branding and the packaging for Christmas. Here's some of the things you're breathing in as you're walking around the supermarket right now. Have the best Christmas ever, make it count, dreams come true, feel good, find love, give happiness. The songs on the radio are all the same, right? doesn't matter if it's Bing, Barlow, Band-Aid, Buble. It's all about finding love or finding world peace. And it's the same with the, the, the Christmas movies, right? They're all about some kind of lonely person in a chaotic world or in a chaotic family. But at the end of the film, it always ends up with that kind of perfect family moment around the fireplace. Yeah? Everyone wins. You know, we've got Aunt, you know, Arnie finds the toy. Kevin's family come home. The Grinch becomes generous. That's no, Scrooge becomes generous. The Grinch gets a heart. Um, Will Ferrell becomes a happy elf. Love, loneliness moves to love. Chaos moves to contentment. And so this is Christmas where everyone wins. And when everything around you is telling you that this is the time of year to have the perfect life, we can get an uncontrollable urge to pretend like that's the case. 
You see, for parents, and perhaps mums especially, Christmas can be a really, really tough time where there's a lot of pressure. You have to feel that you have to absolutely nail it. You have to get just the right presents for everyone. You have to cook just the right meal. You have to get just that perfect family moment. You have to go bigger and better than last year. There's pressure for you to feel like, you know, put your identity in getting that perfect day. And maybe you don't have a good family set up right now. There's family tensions, there's family struggles, there's family tragedies. All the emotions get amplified around this time of year because there's pressure for you to just play happy families. You know, for the elderly, this can be an exceptionally lonely time of year. But there's pressure for you to just say you're fine because you don't want to be a bother to anyone. For singles, this can be a tough time of year. When you desperately want to be married and everything around you is reminding you about love, put on the radio and it's love songs, you put the TV on, it's love actually. There's pressure for you to find your identity and having that that perfect relationship. For newlyweds going to their in-laws for the first time, there's pressure to look good. For the young professional, there's pressure to brag to your uncle about how you're nailing, you know, being a complete boss at life in the city. Pressure, pressure, pressure to look, feel, and sound perfect at Christmas. It's no wonder that the pubs are filled with people on Christmas Eve and Boxing Day, with people either filled with nerves or filled with regrets, because life didn't quite turn out the way that they'd hoped. See, Christmas speaks to our deepest longings of just wanting peace and wanting to be loved. But the question for all of us is, where are we looking to find it? Where are you putting your trust this Christmas to find real hope, happiness, and security? See, unless we wrestle with this question, we're going to start believing the lies that the material world around us is telling us. So Westwood Shopping Center just down the road right now, their slogan this year is, We are Christmas. Like the material world tells you that you know, if you, if you, you'll find peace if you just have the right love, the right family, the right clothes, the right food, the right stuff. And yet we always want more. It's insatiable. If, you, if we don't have these things, right, we just feel like we have to perform in those kind of arenas in search of a peace that isn't really there. See, when we think Christmas is about looking perfect, or we'll perform rather than humbly pursuing real peace. Now we go back a mere 3,000 years to the text we read. There was a man named Micah who lived in Israel around 700 BC. Um, This was 700 years before Jesus was born. And he noted that they had a lot of the same kind of problems. Israel were God's nation. They were constantly taught that real, lasting, satisfying peace came from a relationship with God. God had showed them time and time again that he was kind, that he was good, rescued them from slavery, brought them into a land. He prospered their work. He spoke to them by the prophets. And yet the repeated cycle of the Old Testament is that God's own people still try and live life without him. Despite seeing God perform wonders in their own lives, they constantly try and build lives filled with wonder without God. And they saw glimpses of the glory of God. And they enjoyed glimpses of real peace with God. And yet they always seemed to go after the other thing. And when we reach the book of Micah, very near the end of the Old Testament, nothing's really changed. God's people love materialism, Micah 2 verse 2. They love wealth, Micah 2 verse 8. They love getting on the drink, 2 verse 11. This was the really big one of the day. Micah says if he just preached about booze, everyone would listen to him. It was an easy crowd to talk to about presents and drink because these are the things people really cared about. Even the priests have gone corrupt in Micah's day, seeking money and materialism. We see that in 3 verse 11. You go to church in Micah's day, you wouldn't be pointed to God, you'd be pointed to the money pot. 
This was 3,000 years ago, and yet the culture was all about money, drink, and stuff. So thank goodness for human development that we've moved on so far from that. Not really. You know, this is, these are just the same things. Micah says not a single person was teaching their children about God. 2 verse 9. Why? Well, because they believed the lie that they could find peace and perfection without him. Israel longed for happiness, love, and peace. But they tried to build their perfect world without God. And yet there are two amazing surprises in the book of Micah. Firstly, that despite Israel's unfaithfulness, God is going to be faithful to them. And secondly, better than the first, God is going to give the world the peace that we all want as a gift. As part of preparing the way for all of this, a lot of the book of Micah is about how God is going to come and destroy Israel's idols. They all love money and possessions, so God is going to come and remove these things to show them how hopeless they really are. And sure enough, about 100 years after this book was written, the Babylonians came in and desolated Israel, left them bare. The dream life they tried to build with materialism ended in a moment. And the question on their lips was, how is God possibly going to bring us priests now that we don't even have money or possessions or power? How is God going to bring us peace. You know, we might ask the same question this time of year. How will I possibly find peace if I don't have money or possessions or love or a great family? How can I ever be at rest if I don't have the perfect life? And Micah says that peace is coming in the most unlikely of forms. Not how we would expect through human brilliance, but instead through a baby born in Bethlehem. Look with me at 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. You see, into this situation of complete hopelessness, God reveals his most beautiful plan of hope. And when we read Micah, it just blows our mind that God would want anything to do with Israel. And yet, even in the face of our mistakes, God wants to offer us peace. This is such kind and generous love. But he won't give us peace the way we expect, through human strength, using trumpets and capital cities and armies. No, he's going to bring it through Bethlehem. What's the big point with Bethlehem? We see Bethlehem's a complete nowhere town. People have barely heard of it. You see that in verse 2? It was too little to be accounted among the clans. Do you see that? You people have heard of it today, and history scholars know that it was where King David was born. But that's not the point here. You see, no one cared where King David was born. So we learn in verse 2, no one regarded Bethlehem. It wasn't special. Yet God chooses to solve all the world's problems, not in a great city, but in a back-end town. Not in the White House, but in a barn. Not through an army, but with a baby. Why does he do things like this? It's an interesting question. Why does God do it like this? Well, I want to say there are three reasons God chooses weak little Bethlehem. Let me list them and we'll work our way through them. Number one, to show us his power. Number two, to show he cares for the weak. And number three, to show us a glimpse of his gospel. To show us his power, to show he cares for the weak, to show us a glimpse of his gospel. Let me work through these together. Number one, to show us his power. Um, there's a YouTube channel I really like. Some of you might have seen it called Humans Are Awesome. Uh, and it's basically just a, a channel of uh, videos about people doing really cool stuff, like doing backflips off cliffs and snowboarding and biking. And it's, it's really, really cool to watch because you watch this and you're like, whoa, 
oh, humans are seriously awesome. But yet, well, actually, you think some humans are really awesome because I can't do backflips off cliffs and stuff. But when we think about all the kind of technology and science and the space missions going on right now, it's easy to think how awesome humans are. But let's face facts. When it comes to world peace, we're not that awesome. We're not that awesome. It doesn't matter how many politicians or world rallies or charities or how many times Christmas rolls around. We always find new ways to hate each other. We plaster over one area and a huge leak appears somewhere else. The problem is endless. And we're no good at finding peace with ourselves either. We've got more choices, more technology, more yoga DVDs than ever. And yet we're we're less content than ever. We're less in touch spiritually than ever. Peace with God is a foreign idea to so many people. The problem of peace is a big problem. And yet when God says he will come and solve this huge, unsolvable problem using something so small, he shows his huge power that he can use anything to do anything. I love this about God that he always does this. He always uses little David to slay Goliath. He always uses pathetic Jonah to save Nineveh. He always uses anti-Christian Saul to start the Christian church. God acts like this so we can't boast. See, no one says, well, of course David slaved Goliath. Look at his muscles. No one says, well, of course they will listen to Jonah. He's such a legend. No one says, well, of course world peace is in Bethlehem. That place is so powerful. No, when God overcomes the world, you know, using weakness, despite all of our efforts to do it in our strength, he exposes us to ourselves. He exposes our strength and he kills our boasting. God uses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 1, right? Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to take on the biggest world power of the day. He does this to expose us to ourselves. God does great things through weak things to show us his power and maximize his glory. Let me say that again. God does great things through weak things to show the extent of his power and maximize his glory. Number two, it shows that he cares for the weak. There are all sorts of accusations going on right now about governments that only care for the elite that only care about people who have something big to offer, but not so with God's kingdom. God lovingly associates with the weak of the world. And this is great news for those of us who feel like we're struggling to work our lives out right now. You might feel like you're the weakest person in this room right now, whether that's spiritually, emotionally, or whatever. But the truth be told, maybe you're intimidated by other people in this room who just think they look so strong, like they've got their life together. You're intimidated by Christmas coming up. But you only have to look at the first Christmas story to know that God cares deeply about the weak things of this world. The Christmas story is filled with human weakness, right? People very quickly want to say how magical and special the nativity scene was. They think, oh, it was such a magical moment. You know who I bet didn't think the nativity scene was magical? Mary. Mary. The Christmas story is essentially the story of the most inconvenient arrival time of a baby ever. Two teenagers lost in a town that, you know, it's night. They can't find a place to stay. They've got nowhere. The baby's coming. They end up having the baby in some guy's barn. You know, there's probably stress, panic, donkeys, chickens everywhere, no midwife, no clean clothes. God owns the world, right? He could have told his Christmas story any way he wanted. And yet God speaks the Christmas story right into the midst of human weakness and suffering. So we get the point. 
God cares about the weak and suffering in this world. And the peace he wants to bring goes deep down into the thick of real life and deals with the nitty and the gritty and the awful situations and the unmentionable things going on in your life right now. He cares about them and he wants to consume them with his peace. He chose Mary. He chose the barn. He chose Bethlehem to show us it's not about us looking good. It's about us looking to him. Do we get that? Because we so often in our moments of weakness try and look strong. But in our moments of weakness, God wants us to look to Christ. And thirdly, all of this shows us a glimpse of the gospel. See, verse 2, look at this. The baby will grow up to be a ruler. And verse 4, he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. What does it mean that this baby will grow up to be a ruler? You see, when Micah said this, everyone was expecting really great things from this coming baby. The Jews called him their Messiah and thought he would, you know, he would come and make their lives now, here on earth, uh, really great. Maybe kick out all their enemies, make them a superpower. They'd received other prophecies, which we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, about this baby. So they knew he would be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born of a virgin. He'd be sinless. He'd visit Egypt. He'd come from the line of David. They knew all these things. But the thing that got them really, really excited was that he was going to be a ruler. And they can't wait. And they're all just picturing this mighty warrior who's going to come. He's going to be so impressive and strong. He's going to destroy their enemies and lead an army. And, of course, this is why so many of the Jews missed Jesus the carpenter who Isaiah tells us had nothing in his appearance that would draw us to him, because they'd misunderstood what Micah really meant by rule and peace. Some of us might be thinking, actually, I'm not sure I understand what we mean by rule and peace, because, well, we say Jesus has come to rule, but not that many people follow Jesus. We say Jesus has come to bring peace, but I don't actually feel that peaceful right now. What I want to say, if we feel like this, It's because we haven't completely grasped the magnitude of the good news or the depth of the peace that Jesus is talking about. So sit tight because this is good news. The rule Micah speaks about is more about an eternal rule for all people than it is just to be a ruler for the Jewish nation. You see, Jesus doesn't bring peace to earth by just destroying his enemies. No, it's the opposite. Jesus comes to bring peace for his enemies. Verse 4 tells us that this Messiah will bring greatness and peace to the ends of the earth for all people. Micah tells the Jews that this Messiah is coming for anyone who humbly desires peace from God. See, this news was bigger than they could have imagined. You see, they were so consumed by looking impressive and being the best nation that they completely missed Jesus when he went through life associating with the outcasts and the outsiders. They were always trying to look perfect. And when Jesus arrived with the message of grace to sinners, well, they were steeped in religious performance. When Jesus went to the cross, they thought, this looks so pathetic, such a great defeat. This guy isn't our ruler. And yet it was in going to the cross that Jesus paid the price for our sins and destroyed death. It was in this moment of spectacular weakness that he won the most glorious victory That all people can be made right with God through his sacrifice and not have to fear death because they only have peace on the other side. You see, the peace Jesus comes to offer us is far more about peace with God in eternity than it is with him just giving us a good life now. Of course, God cares about the here and now. And there is real peace to be found in Jesus as we come into a church family that loves one another, as we focus on God who hears our prayers 
as we live the Christian life, become more like Jesus and we follow him, there is real and tangible peace from following Jesus. And as the church is a light to the world, you know, we should impact society in a loving and peaceful way. And so the peace that is on offer here, you know, it's for ourselves, it's for others, but far more significant than that, it is a peace between us and God. You see, the Israelites were constantly rejecting God. They were walking away from him, making God their enemy. And so many of us do the same thing today, and we've made an enemy out of God. And I think from what we've seen about God's power, that God would make a bad enemy. Verse 3 tells us that the Israelites were given up for years before Jesus came. Israel abandoned God, and God abandoned Israel for a long time before Jesus arrived. God means business. To walk away from God now means to leave this life at odds with God. It's a sobering thought, and yet verse 5, Micah tells us that Jesus came to bring us peace with God. The stakes couldn't be higher, and the blessings couldn't be greater. Peace for our soul. As we lean on Jesus, we receive full and free access to the Father. And paradise when we die, a life from hell for heaven. Look at verse 4. In this place we shall dwell secure. There will be no separation from this peace. Jesus shall be great to the ends of the earth. No more will we struggle with sin. No more will the world be ruined by sin. Never again will we long for love because we will have a perfect community. We'll, We'll be overwhelmed by the love of God. No more will we long and crave for a perfect family because we'll have the perfect family. And we have a small taste of that now in the church. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain for the old order of things will pass away. And verse 5, we will only know beautiful and satisfying peace with him. And this peace is on offer to anyone who will humbly come to God and ask for it. You see, it might be that you've been feeling unsettled for the longest time. You've been feeling inadequate for the longest time. You've been feeling weak for the longest time. It might be that you've actually been feeling strong for the longest time. Regardless, this is indescribably good news that Jesus came, that the deepest longings of our life for love and peace can be completely met. That our souls can be made right with the God who made us. And as we celebrate the Christmas, we think about the incredible way that God has reached out to offer us peace. See, this is God's gift to us at Christmas, an eternal peace that is so perfect and so secure that it gives us a peace now just to know it and and know it as a reality. Let me try and pull a couple of these ideas together as we close. Three things to remember this Advent. Three things. Number one, Christmas is not a performance of perfection. It is a present of peace. Christmas is not a performance of perfection, it's a present of peace. It strikes me that no matter who we are, we have a common desire for love and peace. The message we hear a lot at Christmas is that the perfect life can be yours. You just have to have the, you know, just fall in love, get the right stuff, have this family or look this way. And if we're honest, whether we have those things or not, a lot of us are putting our trust in having those things in order to be happy. And the real message of Christmas is that you can find real peace today as you are. You don't have to look perfect. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be the holiest or the most religious. You don't have to live in the best city. You don't have to be born into the greatest family. You don't have to have the perfect romance. God's message of peace is for you as you are. Do we believe that he can really fill your life with this peace? That he can speak into your situation? 
See, God doesn't give us love based on our performance. He gives it freely as a present. And so we can have fun this time of year giving presents to one another because it's an incredible way to remember that God's gift, God's grace is a gift. God's grace is a gift. Christmas is not a performance. It is a present. Number two, you can rejoice in your weaknesses because in them we more clearly see God's strength. It's a huge freedom comes from the gospel that we can, we can look weak and it just doesn't matter. The Christmas story is not about pride. It's about humility. It's not about human strength. It's about God's strength. And so we can rejoice when we look weak. God uses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose Bethlehem to point us to him. He tells the Christmas story right to the depths of weakness and the reality of life, the hardships, the labor, the trouble and the strife. So we, should be, and we, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We shouldn't try and pretend that the, the nativity is some impressive story about human kind of strength and determination. Because it is in that point of severe weakness that God shows us his glory. And his gospel tells us that one day God will shame those who think they are strong and pretend to be perfect. But he will save those who call out to him in Jesus' name. And so there is freedom both ways. We have that power to, you know, if, if we have freedom if we want to go and have the big Christmas, have the mad dash, the big celebration. But don't put your trust in those things. But equally, if, if your Christmas is going to be looking small, weak, sad, lonely, be encouraged. Because it is into this context of weakness that God brings us his peace. Number three. Number three is not a clever point, but it is the main point. Christmas is all about Jesus. See, the real reason Micah gives us all these details is so that people wouldn't miss Jesus. The Old Testament has so many prophecies about the Messiah because God didn't want people to miss Jesus. And as a church, we want everything we do not to point to us, but to point people to Jesus. So remember the main point of our carol service when it comes around. It's not so people look and think, wow, they can put on such a good carol service. It's so we point people to Jesus. And remember, the point of your Christian life isn't so people think, wow, they're such a lovely, kind, generous person. It's so you can point people to Jesus. This means you don't have to be the greatest Christian in the room. It means you don't have to win every argument. You don't have to pretend like your, your, your work life, your family life, your church life is going really, really well right now. You can tell people the truth. You can tell people if it's not. You can tell people when you're struggling. Let's be quick to admit our weaknesses. Let's not be ashamed when we feel that. And let's be quick to remind each other about the, incre- the incredible news of God's love that doesn't hide our imperfections, it deals with our imperfections. It's not about having the perfect Christmas or the perfect family or the perfect faith. It's about us having the perfect saviour. It's about us having the perfect saviour. And in the face of everything that's going to be going on over this Advent season, over the next few weeks with work parties and carol services and family time, let's help each other to keep looking to him. Let's help each other to walk humbly in this strength and receive his peace with joy. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you are a gracious and kind God. You're so loving and you came down to meet us in our weakness. And you love us as we are. You don't ask for us to be perfect or powerful 
All you require of us is humility. And so, Father, we ask that you would humble us before this truth, that you sent your son to give us peace, that otherwise we would never find it. None of our efforts could ever win something so good. And, Father, we ask that you would fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us look to him, the glorious ruler who shepherds his flock in your strength, in your majesty. Help us in all of our insecurities to know that in you we dwell secure and that in you we can find perfect peace. Amen.